Welcome to Petrifaction Horror Stories. If you like stories about ghosts, monsters, the weird and mysterious, Bigfoot and other cryptids, UFOs and the paranormal, you're in the right place. If you like stories of the strange and unusual, including true crime stories and unsolved mysteries, well, you're still in the right place. I'm your host, Petey, and I'd like to offer you some advice. Lock your doors, turn down the lights, and sit back and get comfortable. Try to relax. Just remember, friends, be prepared to be petrified. The Air Force has said in an official statement issued in, in January of 1985, there are not now, nor have there ever been, any extraterrestrial visitors or equipment on Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So today's show is going to be about Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and UFOs. And the first article that I have for you today is called Roswell and Wright. The New Revelations. Now, it's been positively established through both first-hand testimony and through documentation, like the 7947 FBI memo, that the debris material resulting from the July 1947 Roswell crash was flown to Wright, called Wright Field at the time, now Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. This fact has led some in the UFO research community to look for leads that there was later storage and study of the craft and bodies at the base. Over the years, there have been reports by former base personnel and contractors that help confirm this. So the name of this book is UFO Secrets Inside Wright-Patterson Eyewitness Accounts from the Real Area 51. It's by Thomas J. Carey and Donald R. Schmidt. Further corroboration with named sources are included in this book, which delivers remarkable stories by credible people who were uniquely positioned at Wright. A few of these are briefly summarized in this article. 1. A well-known TV show host claims his grandfather engineered the elevator systems and hangar lift systems for Wright that were installed at deep underground levels. The things his grandfather saw 
led his grandfather to the conclusion that we are not alone. 2. A U.S. Air Force flight surgeon asserts that he assisted in an alien autopsy at the base at the time, mentioning numerous details, including that one of the bodies was burned. 3. The creator of the Hangar 18 movie is located by this author, and the true story is finally revealed behind the infamous right hangar storing alien artifacts. These more recent accounts supplement more well-known ones developed over the years, such as Wright's base commander in the 1960s, General Arthur Exon, states he knew of the crash when it happened and later, from the air, observed gouges, two distinct sight and truck marks on the ground. He confirmed, based on what he had heard from trusted sources then and later at Wright, that Roswell was extraterrestrial in nature. There is substantial testimony about Wright's involvement from former base personnel, and it was amassed by the late researcher Leonard Stringfield. The existence of the base's blue room containing super-secret items thought to be in part related to crash retrieval related items is now proven through FOIAs by Brian Parks, William Steinman, and this author. And even the late Senator Barry Goldwater was denied access to it. This highly restricted base facility is thought to hold crash retrieval related items. Fresh support for accounts relating to Wright and Roswell take the form of testimony from at least a dozen more little-known or newly found witnesses found in UFO secrets inside Wright-Patterson, attesting to deep base involvement, including these. Ben Hansen One of the key individuals engaged in the design-build of underground infrastructure at Wright-Patterson has now been identified. Ben Hansen is a former FBI agent. He was also, for some years, the lead host of the Sci-Fi Channel program, Fact or Faked, Paranormal Files. Degreed in criminology, Hansen is now co-investigator of the newly premiered TV show, Ghosts of Morgan City on the Travel Channel. Ben claims that it was, in fact, his grandfather, Merlin Hansen, who helped to engineer elevator and hangar lift systems servicing underground facilities and infrastructure constructed deep below the base. These underground structures and his experience with them led Marlin to conclude that we are not alone in the universe. According to Ben, and confirmed later by his retired father, Dr. David Hansen of Northern Utah, in conversations with the book's authors, his grandfather, Merlin Hansen, was civil engineer at Hill Air Force Base in Utah for three decades. He says that from 1964 to 1968, his grandfather, Merlin, made many unannounced and secret trips to perform temporary duty assignments at Wright-Patterson involving management of civil engineering projects for the base's underground infrastructure. In retirement, Merlin had once told family that he designed conveyance systems going down six levels to areas large enough to accommodate six fighter jets below ground. <laughs>
Dr. Hansen asked his father Merlin in 1990, when Merlin was terminally ill, if he might know whether there are extraterrestrials. Dr. Hansen and his son Ben were aware of the rumors about crashed saucers and Wright. Dr. Hansen bluntly and directly asked his father, wondering if he knew anything about it and looking him in the eyes, are we alone in the universe? Dr. Hansen states that his father replied softly but very clearly, son, we are not alone. Moments later, says Dr. Hansen, his father Merlin passed. He stresses that in all his years his father had never lied to him, and likely Merlin was well aware of his grandson Ben's genuine interest in things E.T. and would answer such a question genuinely. In fact, Ben Hansen is convinced it was because of his special assignments at Wright that my grandfather was compelled to tell his story from his deathbed. We are not alone. And it makes perfect sense to utilize the expertise of engineers such as Merlin Henson from far-flung bases like a Utah base who have security clearances and work intermittently, thereby not developing long-term work relationships that are temporary. They will one day leave right and never come back. <coughs> Colonel DeJack Klinger was a flight surgeon assigned to Wright Field after having served in World War II. As flight surgeon for Wright in the summer of 1947, he was an MD who acted as primary care physician and surgeon to pilots, flight officers, and navigators. In 1975, after Klinger was retired from the military, he confided to close friend and business colleague Ronald Sequoy of Ohio that back in the 40s, he had helped document the autopsy of two alien creatures that were performed by pathologists at Wright Base. He beseeched Sequoy to never mention this to anyone until he, Klinger, had passed. Klinger told Sequoy that he remembered that each body was about four feet in length. One was uninjured and one was badly burned with the face frozen in an anguished expression. The bodies were turned around by medical personnel while being photographed and filmed. The eyes had layered membranes, more like he said optical instruments. There was no visible genitalia and their skin appeared fabric-like. Klinger had also said of the corpses that they were very slim and their skeletons, torsos, and insides were constructed like that of insects. This very point was also made by Dr. Robert Sarbacher, U.S. R&D board consultant in the 1940s, to researcher William Steinman in 1983. Steinman had written Sarbacher decades after Sarbacher was found to have written a letter to Canadian senior engineer Wilbur Smith that he had been aware of the ET recovery program for some years. Sarbacher stated that he got the impression that the aliens were lightweight and that they were constructed like certain insects. Klinger mentioning a burned alien body is also interesting. Oblique confirmation of Klinger's claim comes from none other than former Project Blue Book director Robert Friend, who died recently at 99. Out of nowhere, 
Friend said to researcher James Fox when discussing Roswell and possible bodies, if they had a burned body, they would have gone to Texas, where they have a facility for that. But Fox had never mentioned anything at any time to Friend about a burned body having been found at the crash site. Music for today's podcast is purchased and licensed through Pond Bot. Special thank you to Sound Phenomenon, providing fun orchestra stock music from Pond 5. And to Sterling Audio for uplifting acoustic pop heading home. Stock music also provided through Pond 5. The idea of Hangar 18 on the premises of Wright-Patterson, which has held extraterrestrial items, has been part of Crash Saucer Legend for decades. The author, as reported in the book, wanted to get to the bottom of where this idea originally came from. I located the director and co-creator of the movie, Hangar 18, starring Darren McGavin, Robert Vaughn, and Gary Collins. James L. Conway was reached by me to discuss the origins of his 1980 movie about a crashed saucer in Arizona stored in a secret airbase hangar. Speaking of his 1980 release, he told me that he does not really remember the exact time when he first heard the term Hangar 18, but he did say that it was sometime in the early 1970s and it was related to talk of a UFO crash in the Southwest. The movie was a moderate success at the time and helped to cement the mysterious Hangar 18 into public consciousness. Author Tom Carey was fascinated by all of this. After we talked, he began to reflect on prior testimony about base facilities and where he himself may have first heard the term Hangar 18. Reading an article obliquely referencing a ufologist who in 1974 spoke of sources telling him of stored saucers in the Hangar 18 at Wright, Carey had an epiphany. The man who had spread these very early stories was one Professor Robert Spencer Carr, who was an instructor at a small college in Florida and was active in the UFO group MUFON in the 1970s. It's now rather certain that Conway's source of inspiration for this movie Hangar 18 is Robert Spencer Carr. Unfortunately, Carr was later found out to not possess any real higher education and was, according to his own son, both gullible and a deceiver. Carr, however, was genuine in his desire to find out the truth about such matters. He was not very discerning, but somehow had heard of Hangar 18 at Wright that was storing saucer secrets. Who told him this, we don't know. His sources were often combined sources and were most always anonymous. But the very strange thing is that there may be a kernel of truth to Carr's claim. That's because some years ago, Tom Carey had begun to hear of a Building 18 complex at the base. Could this be the source of the confusion? In consulting a Department of Interior, document from 1990, he noted that there appears to be a group of buildings marked Building 18 to 18G. They comprise, in part, 
a power plant laboratory, and cryonic cold storage facility. The Building 18 complex has a walkway to a Hangar 23 on the base, whose purpose is little known. Perhaps one of Carr's sources used 18 to refer to the building complex affixed to Hangar 23. Well, Carey found out that locally the hangar is often referred to as 18 out of convenience due to location and not always called by its official Hangar 23 designation. And incredibly, there is support for just this in the story related earlier in this article about civil engineer Merlin Hansen being tasked to work on underground infrastructure at Wright and coming away with a belief in E.T. His grandson, Ben Hansen, coincidentally related a detail to Tom Carey that now takes on real significance. Ben explained that Merlin told the family that whenever they had to contact Merlin while he was on temporary duty from Utah and working at Wright, that he would be reached in the hangar by calling him via Building 18. Now at this part, I'm going to talk a little bit about Hangar 18. Now the movie came out, um, it said in the article we just read that it came out in 1980. And I do recall seeing this movie. I was just a kid at the time. So I don't really remember a lot of the facts about it. So I looked up an article to tell me a little bit more about Hangar 18. And for those of you who are not maybe familiar with it, uh, this might be helpful in knowing a little bit about it. So this is, does Hangar 18 legendary alien warehouse exist? This is by Sarah Pruitt, and it was dated January of 2020. Extraterrestrial remains and even captured aliens in this mysterious warehouse, specifically inside a sealed, highly guarded location dubbed the Blue Room. The legend of Hangar 18 goes back to the supposed crash of a UFO in the desert near Roswell, New Mexico in July of 1947. According to a press release issued by the Roswell Army Airfield, RAAF, their personnel inspected the flying disc and sent it on to higher headquarters. A subsequent press release from an Air Force base in Fort Worth, Texas, assumed to be the aforementioned headquarters, claimed the disc was a weather balloon, a claim the Air Force acknowledged was untrue in 1994, admitting it had been testing a surveillance device designed to fly over nuclear research sites in the Soviet Union. But, in addition to Fort Worth, many UFO researchers believe some of the materials from Roswell were also transported to Wright Field after the crash and stored in Hangar 18 based on unsubstantiated reports from former military pilots. One, Oliver Henderson, reportedly told his wife that he flew a plane loaded with debris along with several small alien bodies from Roswell to Wright Field. According to the children of another pilot, World War II ace Marion Black Mac Magruder, their father claimed to have seen a living alien at Wright Field in 1947 and told them, it was a shameful thing that the military destroyed that creature by conducting tests on it. Senator Barry Goldwater of Arizona, the Republican nominee for president in 1964, was notoriously fascinated by UFO and Hangar 18. 
Goldwater said publicly that he tried to gain access to the Blue Room in the early 1960s, but had been denied access by a furious General Curtis LeMay. Even after Project Blue Book wrapped up in 1969, rumors continued to swirl around Wright Pat. In 1974, a Florida ufologist named Robert Spencer Carr publicly claimed that the Air Force was hiding two flying saucers of unknown origin inside Wright-Patterson Hangar 18. Carr claimed to have a high-ranking military source who saw the bodies of 12 alien beings while autopsies were being performed on them. Though Carr's claims were dubious, widespread media coverage of them as well as the release of the 1980 movie Hangar 18 helped cement the legend of Wright-Pat as a hotbed of the government's UFO-related activities. Another case related to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is that of the Kecksburg Incident. Greensburg UFO researcher Stan Gordon, who has studied the Kecksburg crash since the day it happened, has produced a 92-minute documentary entitled Kecksburg, The Untold Story that provides eyewitness accounts and claims that surely will bolster debate. As the cover says, New Mexico has Roswell, but in Pennsylvania, it was Kecksburg. The most persistent Kecksburg researcher, Gordon has long kept an open mind as to what may have landed, but always has been intrigued by possibilities of an extraterrestrial visit. Written and narrated by Gordon, the video provides numerous eyewitness testimonials from people who saw the fireball cruise at rather low speeds and altitudes across southwestern Pennsylvania. It maneuvered in complete turns when it finally put down in Kecksburg's woods, about seven miles southeast of Greensburg. Others who went rummaging through the woods that early evening say they saw an acorn-shaped spacecraft half buried in a gully. Many others, including news reporters, saw Kecksburg crawling with military personnel from the U.S. Air Force, Army, and NASA that evening, while others saw a Volkswagen Beetle-sized craft being removed under a tarp on the back of a military flatbed truck. Still others say they saw it being hauled to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. So this is the other big case that involves spacecraft or supposed spacecraft or something unidentified that came from the sky, fell to the earth and was taken to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. What I can tell you is that Wright-Patterson Air Force Base near Dayton, Ohio, has something called the National Museum, National Museum of the United States Air Force. Now, the National Museum of the United States Air Force, located at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, is the Department of the Air Force's National Institution for Preserving and Presenting Its Story. 
Each year, more than 800,000 visitors come to the museum to learn about the mission, history, and evolving capabilities of America's Air Force and New Space Force. The museum is the world's largest and oldest military aviation museum, featuring more than 350 aerospace vehicles and missiles on display amid more than 19 acres of indoor exhibit space. Thousands of personal artifacts, photographs, and documents further highlight the people and events that comprise the Air Force storyline from the beginnings of military flight to today's current operations. Some of the things that are at the National Museum include galleries that present many rare and one-of-a-kind aircraft and aerospace vehicles, and thousands of historical items that chronicle the evolution of military flight from the Wright brothers to today's stealth aircraft, rockets, missiles, and spacecraft. There are a number of aircraft from the early years that include a rare SPAD-13, also a Caproni CA-36 bomber, and an MB-2 bomber. The World War II collection includes the iconic B-17F Memphis Bell, which was the first heavy bomber to return to the United States after flying 25 missions over Europe. The B-29 boxcar, which dropped the atomic bomb on Nagasaki, along with a P-51 and Japanese Zero. The F-86 and MiG-15 helped represent the Korean War with the F-4 among Vietnam standouts. Some of the favorites there include the B-52, the B-1, the F-15, F-16, F-117 stealth fighter, the Predator, Reaper, and Global Hawk remotely piloted aircraft, the F-22 Raptor, and the world's only permanent public exhibit of the B-2 stealth bomber. NASA's first crew compartment trainer used to train astronauts on operating the Space Shuttle Orbiter highlights the long history of the Air Force-NASA partnership. The museum also features a world-class collection of presidential aircraft, including SAM, the Special Air Mission 26000, which is a Boeing VC-137C that served as President John F. Kennedy's Air Force One the legendary SR-71 Blackbird and the exotic XB-70, both engineering marvels and two of the world's most famous aircraft are also on display at the museum. Recently, I got to go to this National Museum at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Um, unfortunately, I was going to the airport, so I was kind of crunched for time. When I went, I had no idea how huge the facility is. And um, I will tell you that being there in Dayton at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base to go from one end of the base to the other, I swear to you, was nine miles long. I did end up taking a wrong turn trying to find the museum, so I could be very off because of this wrong turn I made. But it seems to me like Wright-Patterson is a huge base, and I wouldn't be surprised if they could hide things there. But that being said, the museum is huge. If... I would go back there again, and I would hope to. I would like to go back with my husband sometime and uh, just get to visit all of the uh, area, all of the 
hangers. It's everything is inside and it's multiple hangers full of things. And they even have like a, like an, a Holocaust exhibit featured there right now. And I, I don't know if it's always there, if it's always been there, but it was there at my visiting in uh, late 2022. So I thought it was really interesting. What I, one of the things I really wanted to see while I was there was something called the Avro car. And they have it there at Wright-Patterson at the museum, but I was unable to see it because it is so big. As I said, I didn't have any idea how huge this place was, and we actually had to leave before we got through the entire place. We had to leave before we got to see everything, and I didn't get to see the Avro car. So the uh, next story I'm going to do is about the Avro car. It was a real flying saucer from the 1950s. Unidentified flying objects, UFOs, or flying saucers became a cultural obsession since amateur pilot Kenneth Arnold reported sightings of flashing bright lights around the skies of Mineral, Washington on June 24, 1957. That should be 1947. In a report by The Atlantic, Arnold claimed the bizarre flying objects flew on a single horizontal plane and weaved from side to side, occasionally flipping, banking, and darting above the Cascade Mountains. News of the incident broke out on June 25th, and Arnold told reporters that what he saw moved like a saucer if you skipped it across the water, and the world was never the same again. The U.S. government started working on an aircraft called Avrocar in the early 1950s. The VZ-9AV Avrocar resembled a real-life flying saucer with vertical takeoff and landing and can rush to supersonic speeds, perfectly depicting UFO shape and flying patterns. The Avrocar's disc shape and ability to hover bring to mind the flying saucers that we associate with extraterrestrial sources, but the project never really got off the ground both figuratively and literally. From the start, the design was unstable and difficult to fly. Through extensive testing and modifications, Canada's Avro Aircraft Limited was able to improve stability, but the Avro car was still only able to hover at a height of about 3 feet and travel at speeds not exceeding 35 miles per hour. Music for today's podcast is purchased and licensed through Pond5. Special thank you to Sound Phenomenon, providing fun orchestra stock music from Pond5. And to Sterling Audio for uplifting acoustic pop heading home, stock music also provided through Pond5. And that's all the time we have for today's show. I want to thank you for joining me and listening to today's story. And if you like the show, please hit subscribe, give it a rating, or tell a friend and share the show. Until next time, this has been Petrifaction. Take care, folks. <laughs>